Well, hello there. It is good to see you again, and welcome back to Go Beyond Numbers. I'm your host and moderator, Ryan Ruff, and boy, is it great to be back with you here for the season premiere as we you know, turn the chapter into season two of the show. It's great to have you guys back with us. And as always, we'll be joined by Mr. Tony Rose of Rose Snyder and Jacobs. He'll be joining me. And we've got another special guest that we're bringing for you here on the show today. You know, we always bring guests from Tony's personal and professional lives. We love to get a, you know, kind of a, a window into their world and a lot of the practices and principles that they live by. And boy, do we have a good Good guest for you today. Today, joining us is Mr. Mark Wayman, the godfather of Las Vegas. You heard that right. Great ring to that nickname. Uh, truly, Mark is a you know an executive recruiting um, mastermind, really, for casinos and uh, gaming and, and really high tech as a whole. So Tony's going to be diving into a great conversation with Mark today just about his world, how he became the godfather of Las Vegas, and what that really means uh, in terms of his professional relationships and how he goes about that on a day-to-day basis. So, But first and foremost, let's go ahead and get Tony out here and get right into it. Tony, it's good to see you this morning. How are you doing, sir? Nice to see all of you today. And I'm very happy that we're starting our second season. Ryan, I think the first season was a lot of fun. We learned a lot of stuff. And I think we're going to learn even more stuff uh, this, this coming series of podcasts. I would agree. We've gone pretty far beyond the numbers there on the first season, Tony, and and Mark's going to kick things off with a great episode here uh, to kick things, you know, get things rolling. But uh, Tony, I'll throw things over to you. I know you've got a great relationship with Mark, and uh, I'm excited to see how today's conversation pans out. Yes. uh, uh, Full disclosure, I I consider Mark one of my great friends, and uh, but it didn't start out that way because that way, uh, I, I was introduced to Mark by my marketing director many, many years ago, and I was fortunate enough to be invited to one of his events and got to see Mark in action. Mark is a very unusual man. He's actually had two lives, and I want to discuss that with Mark today, so let's bring Mark in right now. Mark, good morning to you. Hey, Tony. Greetings from Las Vegas. It's yeah, good to be it's 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 nice to be able to connect with you and and uh, full disclosure every once in a while we get together and have a cigar don't we that is correct although i've kind of i've scaled back on the cigars a little bit but uh, once in a while once in a while and i'm honored to be able to do that once in a while with you um mark mark is very interesting uh, because he has an ethos about hiring employees, relationships between companies and and their team, and and also has a bird's eye view into the gaming and technology industry. So I wanted to start off today, Mark, by just asking you a question. Talk to us about the two lives that you've had and how you morphed from one life into another. Sure. So uh, I started out actually three lives because I was a professional bowler when I was 18. And pretty quickly, I figured out when I went on the national pro bowling tour that there was about 200 guys better than me. So life one was over at uh, like 18. And then uh, I was a a technology executive for about uh, 20 years or so, CIO. And then just through sheer happenstance, ended up with two software companies. 
So one of them went public on the NASDAQ and that was pretty cool. But the second one was really interesting. We did counterterrorism for the um, for the government. We were funded by the CIA, thank you tell. And we did a lot of work for Department of Defense, FBI, CIA, Al-Qaeda, counterterrorism type stuff. That company was acquired by IBM for uh, a number with many zeros on the end. And then uh, I retired. So I was 45 years old. I bought a racehorse. The only thing I ever wanted to buy my whole, whole life is uh, a luxury item, right? It was a racehorse. And a friend of mine called and said, you know, I need some FBI talent. I said, what for? And he said, uh, for anti-money laundering. I said, well, that's actually Secret Service, guys. That's not FBI. But I said, we can do that. And uh, he said, look, here's the deal. You're on the board of Make-A-Wish. I give you $50,000. And if you don't want the money, you give it away to charity. You can give it away to Make-A-Wish. And that's how I got started with my executive recruiting business 18 years ago. And then over the years, I, I built that uh, client base up. And I think that uh, at this point in my career, most folks would tell you that I am the biggest uh, gaming and casino recruiter on the planet. Yes, I. you know what? I don't doubt that. I don't doubt <laughs> that at all. Uh, <clears throat> one interesting thing about your approach, in, 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 at least from my observation, is that you're very relationship-based. You do not throw mud against the wall, do you? Mm -hmm. So talk about the importance of relationships in your business, and then maybe we can extend it out to some wisdom for some of the listeners about the uh, what I call relationship as a currency. Yeah, so I was not, I'm not a sales guy. I'm, I'm a technology person. I'm not a salesperson. So... When I started off having to do sales, um, I started hosting these events. And uh, the foundation room at Mandalay Bay here was the first ones. And there were, I got together six clients. And I said, I'll tell you what, I'll bring you some Cuban cigars and I'll, I'll pay for your bar bill. And we'll just, our only purpose will be for you six guys to meet each other, right? Um, there's a lot of value in those relationships. And then I started them in San Francisco and I did them in Hollywood, which is where I met you. And we were out, I think, smoking a cigar on the balcony of the house of Blues West Hollywood. And you looked at me and you said, Mark, how can I help you? And it just struck me that that was like the most important question that you can ask someone, right? How can I help you? Because most of the people are in sales, all they care about is making their quota. You know, my quote is a million dollars this month. What part are you going to help me with, right? And, and, and after a while, everybody gets tired of being solicited, right? And so I took that to heart that I tried to help people, you know, in a variety of different ways. And the events got bigger and bigger and bigger. And now um, there are about 125 people. I stopped doing LA and San Francisco, but I still do them in Las Vegas. Um, the next one, you're actually a sponsor. It's doubling as a charity event uh, for Noah's Animal House, which is the pet portion of the Shade Tree Women's Shelter. And we're going to be doing that December 7th in the penthouse at Red Rock. And we have uh, 20 sponsors, and we will be raising a significant amount of money for Noah's. Yes, and, and I'm happy to be able to participate in that. And, and uh, it's always a blessing to be able to do it. Uh, there's a very interesting book that was published last week by my friend, Joe Polish, 
called What's In It For Them. And mm -hmm. I want you to first buy my book, Go Beyond Numbers. That would be a great second for everyone to get. And in it, he, he talks about the power of relationship. And he talks about that concept of saying, how can I help you? The whole idea is to bring more to the table than you're asking from the people right. that, that you have a relationship with. Um, you, you pack a big power in your search, don't you? In terms of what you give to your clients. What's, well, what's your philosophy with that? Well, you know, if you want people to take your phone call, you need to explain what your unique value proposition is. So I started a newsletter uh, 18 years ago that has who got hired, who got fired, what's going on in gaming and casinos. And I have 7,000 people on that newsletter list, right? It's just for my clients. It's not open to the public. Please don't ask me to subscribe. It's just a benefit of knowing me, right? So that there's some unique value prop. Nobody puts anything like that together. And um, our, our industry, the gaming and casino industry is very small. Everybody knows everybody. And so people are interested to see where their friends went, where they're working, what's the, new, what's, what's the latest news, right? So beyond that, of course, you know, knowing an executive recruiter can come in handy. Um, you know, in 2008, when we hit depression 2.0 and everybody was out of a job, well, my friends were in a good spot because I helped them out and I made sure they were gainfully employed. And that's about to happen again. We're about to go into a very deep recession and the media can portray that however they want. In my opinion, this is gonna be bad. Um, I have seen hiring fall off by 75% in the last 30 days. Of course, now keep in mind, I work at $100,000 and up. My average placement is 250, 300,000. So I'm, I'm at the high end. I'm not talking about bottle washers and you know servers and, and that I'm talking about the high-end stuff right and so my newsletter the executive recruiting you know I, I hate to say you know I've helped a lot of people's kids get their first job out of college um, mom wants to work part-time you know when you're a client of mine I try to add value in many ways how is it how is it that the, the clients that you have add value to you? How do they help you? Is it mutual? You know, I would say it's interesting. That's a really good question because half the people, um, you, they don't even say thank you. They just, it was like it was an honor and a privilege for me to help them. And, and I, get, I get paid. I get it, right? The other half want to name the next two kids after me. Right. So I think that you see a dichotomy there of people that are very self-absorbed, right? And very self-focused versus people that understand how relationships work and how the universe works. Right. And so look, I get paid, so I love everybody, but it go I think it goes to character when um, the people that I get you know, million dollar jobs aren't grateful for it. What, um, so how do you know, it, it, it's, the world loves a giver. Mm -hmm. And, and, and so it, it is, 
I think important to give you and I agree with about that. Um, mm -hmm. One of my questions is, how can you discern if you're being used uh, and made, I won't say abused because no one gets abused unless they permit it, but how do you, how do you know when that relationship is not mutual? Yeah, a great question. Well, you know, I get, every day I get asked for free tickets and free rooms every day. And my, I've got a canned response. Look, my clients make money by selling tickets and rooms, right? I don't ask them for free tickets and rooms. They don't ask me to recruit for free, right? So, you know, there's, there is a percentage of the demographic that feels entitled because of how much money they make or where they live or what their title is or who they are. I don't care. You know what? Uh, I have relationships with 5% of my Rolodex that are very close, maybe another 15, 20% that I consider friends. And then 75%, really, they're just acquaintances, right? And I, there's, there's X amount of favors to go around. And so I have to save those, you know, like the million dollar jobs. I'm not going to work with people I don't. Why would I do that? My clients expect me to know everything about the candidate, know their backstory, quote it scripture and verse. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm very focused on the relationship part of it and helping my friends. So, so what, so when, uh, are people looking for jobs now or are people just standing pat? Oh, it's horrible. There's nobody, nobody wants to work. It's horrible. You know, they added 269,000 jobs last month and they ran through the streets screaming job growth. That's not job growth. Those are people that went back to work that have been unemployed, collecting unemployment, but because it's $7 for a gallon of gas and food's up 25%, they had to go back to work. It's not job growth. 4.1 million people quit last month. 4.1 million. How are they getting by? I have no idea. The number of open jobs went up again from 10.3 to 10.7 million. Yet you only have 5 million people collecting unemployment. So things have, I, I've never seen it like this. The, the, whole, the whole world just changed when this pandemic hit. It just, it's crazy. I, I would think, I, I, it's, it's really amazing to me because it is very hard to find people. We have a full-time recruiter now uh, that, that recruits in, in professional, that, that's our employee. Uh, so she's constantly on the lookout for people looking for jobs. It's very hard to find. Uh, I, I will say, thank God, we've been able to hire three or four people in the last month, which is great. Uh, if, if people are looking for jobs, uh, or looking for new opportunities. What advice might you have for those kinds of people looking for opportunities? How should they position themselves? Uh, uh, what What do you think? I, 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 if it's true, we're going to be going from a uh, a seller's market, uh, the employees 
to a buyer's market, the employers. And I just heard Meta is going to have some kind of huge layoff. Uh, I, I, I saw announced yesterday, uh, uh, which is Facebook. And and uh, what what are the do's and don'ts for employees at this point? Yeah, well, you know, you can't have historic government debt and historic consumer debt and 9% inflation and not understand what's about to happen and how that's going to unwind. And it hasn't really started. People think, oh, we're, in the rec- we're not in the recession yet. The pain is coming and it's going to be very deep and it's going to be very long. And everybody that's buying stocks today that thinks the Fed's going to pivot and they're going to stop raising rates, you've lost your mind. You don't understand how, how economics works, right? From a candidate perspective, the number one mistake I see is that people are unreasonable about compensation. So I have a saying, anybody that tells you money doesn't matter, doesn't have any, okay? So I understand that money matters, but people are coming to me making $70,000 and asking me for 160,000. That's not a reasonable request. Even if I wanted to do it, the human resources people at the hiring companies are going to laugh at me. So you have to be reasonable. 10, 20% increase in pay, I get it. But for me, I really think that if you're gonna change jobs, you need to look at your five and 10 year plan, right? And see, how does this move me forward? Look for the opportunity. Don't just always be obsessed with money. It's not attractive in a client. The next thing is, if you can't relocate, then you need to work your professional network and find a recruiter in this, let's say you're in Los Angeles, find a recruiter in Los Angeles. You know, at least half of my jobs, maybe more, you got to relocate. Um, again, you know, these are 200, 300, $500,000 jobs, but you have to follow your career and you will have to relocate. Do you have a five and 10 year plan? Uh, so every day when I wake up, I wonder if today's my last day, Tony. Um, a friend of mine ran up to me. We were going to Starbucks for coffee and he ran up to me and he put his arm around me and he said, Mark, what's changed for you as a executive recruiter since the pandemic started? And I looked over and I said, I have kind of lost my faith in humanity. The, the, the behavior of the can not the hiring companies, but the candidates, people lie. They're not honest with you. They spend too much interviewing, take it, then they take a counter offer and think that's okay. Um, they're interviewing with four companies, but they lie and don't tell you that. I don't care if you're interviewing with 10 companies, but at least let me know so I can let my client know, you know, just the, the candidate behavior is just the last two years is, is dreadful. It's, it's absolutely dreadful. So as an employer, what, what should we be looking for in the candidate? Is it, is it that phenomenon where the candidate um, is concerned but not overly concerned about compensation, be looking to see what the future is? Uh, as an employer, what should we be looking for in the great characteristics of a great employee? Well, I think it's the same thing that it has been for the last 50 years, right? Um, you know, education is very helpful. Uh, don't send the hate mail. I have an MBA from Texas AM, but the truth is, as a recruiter, I don't care if you have 
a degree or not. But if my client says must have four-year degree, guess what? I like getting paid and I'm only sending people with a four-year degree. Um, I, you know, stable work history is good, three to five years. You know, if someone's had four jobs in the last four years, that's a pattern, right? Um, also highly recognizable employers. So, you know, in my industry, you know, if somebody's been at MGM or Caesars or Station Casinos, as opposed, you know, to Joe Paducah's gas station casino, um, you know, high profile employers are good as well. Um, but 50% of its talent, do they fit the job spec, right? But the other 50% is chemistry, you know? So when you interview them, do you like them? Do you feel like they're going to be a good fit? Because, you know, the high strung Caesars person probably is not a great fit for the laid back boy gaming. You know, you have to look at the culture and match the person to the culture. Uh, I, you know, I like, I like that. I'm writing that down. Um, match culture to person. Yeah. Do, do you think employers are, now your employers are big employers. Uh, do, do, are they really aware of what their culture is? Yeah, I think they are. Yeah, they're pretty smart. You know, it's funny when when um, SRD, the counterterrorism software company I was with, got bought by IBM. And I thought that was going to be the greatest job of my life. I, I mean, I'm, IBM, 390,000 employees is phenomenal. I lasted eight months. I hated it. Why? Because I'm type A. I'm results oriented. I go, 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 right? And IBM, it's, it's, a, it's a great company. If you want to hang for 20, 30 years, get the gold watch and do that thing, right? There's not, at least for me, there wasn't a high expectation, but I didn't like that, you know? Um, so yes, I do believe that uh, the human resources people typically have a pretty good handle on what their culture is like. Now, you know, you have very good cultures and you have very toxic cultures, right? And so that's one of the, the values I bring for the candidates is I, I know the places that are a good place to work, right? There's a lot of very bad places to work in Las Vegas. And, um, you know, most of them are the ones out doing the post and pray, posting online all the time. They don't pay. They treat people poorly. They have high turnover. And so on the candidate side, I, I steer my candidates away from those employers. It, it, let, let's um, something you just said prompted me to want to kind of turn the direction of the conversation um, in, in, into this the concept of work-life balance, which, which is uh, maybe an overused phrase, but but my observation of you, especially since you got married, and I knew you before you got married, uh, to your wife, Anne, uh, you, you're really good about balancing how busy you are and, and your personal life. It feels to me like, maybe I'm wrong. What do you think? Oh, I think that, uh, you know, in, in casinos, we call it the life because so many of the casino executives are very one-dimensional, 
right? They just work a hundred hours a week, day, nights, weekends, right? And I was that way uh, until we sold SRD to IBM and I retired. I said, I'm done. I've got enough to live on the rest of my life. I'm 45. I'm going to go buy this racehorse. This is going to be fun. And then I read a book called Halftime by a guy named Bob Buford. And he said, and, you know, he said, that's great. You made all this money and you got houses and cars and stuff. But he said, what about your legacy? What's your purpose in life? Why are you here? Right. Started. How will you be remembered? And, and that really, it shook me. And I said, you know, I think I've been a taker for 45 years. It's probably time that I start giving back. And that was when I really started getting into Make-A-Wish and Opportunity Village and Catholic Charities and Noah's Animal House and Olive Press and got very involved with all the charities from sitting on the board to, you know, last month I hosted the, um, the fundraiser for Olive Press, the foster children. And as you know, next month I'm hosting the Noah's Animal House one. And so it just changed my whole perspective. And when I met Annie um, 12 years ago, you know, she loved to travel and have fun and go out. And um, so we started traveling quite a bit. I'd never been anywhere, you know, and we started going on cruises. We've been to Africa on safari. We've been to Antarctica. And I'm, I'm blessed to be, you know, at 60, able to spend more time enjoying life and uh, not having to work as hard. You know, this job, this executive recruiting was supposed to be 20 hours a week. Just give me something to do. But 2008 hit and it became 60 hours a week because all my friends were unemployed. And now I'm, I'm morphing back into that 20 hour a week. And, and do you find that you have more energy now because you're getting more mind rest? Mm -hmm. Well, I, so, you know, at the age of 50, uh, I inherited parenting duties from my stepdaughter, Amelia, who is a real handful. She's a lovely girl, but a real handful. And so uh, I got to do that through her high school years. And, uh, and then we've got the two mini Labradoodles, Alfie and Rocky, and they're like having two grandbabies. If, if they don't get their two walks every day, nobody's sleeping tonight. So I walk three or four miles a day, every day. And then um, Ann was actually the Nevada State Triathlon Champion in her former life. And so we, uh, we do a couple days of high intensity weightlifting, I ride a stationary bike. So we, you know, we try to stay in good shape. That's good. That's good. Um, I, I have a, a turning back to what you do and, and the clients that you have. Tell me about, uh, there's, a re, there's a recent, it's relatively recent, that the Indian tribes are actually getting into Las Vegas. And I think it might mm -hmm. be interesting what you observe. Um, uh, I know that, um, uh, which, which is the casino that was taken over by one of the tribes uh, uh, recently? Uh, well, you have two of them. You have two. The first one was the Palms that was acquired by San Manuel Yamava. And then the second was the Mirage, which was uh, 
that was acquired by Hard Rock International, which is Seminoles. And 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 is that going to be changing gaming, or or is it just another large organization getting into the gaming industry uh, in Las Vegas and the hospitality industry in Las Vegas? Because I'm they're they're doing both, right? Yeah, I, you know, look, they're both sensational operators. I do believe the San Manuel is number one by revenue and profitability in the United States. Um, you know, Hard Rock International, they have a, a monopoly in Florida, but they've been very successful. Atlantic City, Indiana, they've got, you know, they've done, you know, they have expanded into several jurisdictions and been successful with each one, right? Um, I actually was asked by the COO of San Manuel for three casinos that I thought would be a good acquisition. And my number one pick was Palms. And then um, the CEO, Lawrence Vasso, came back, asked me the same question, and they ended up buying the Palms. It was a beautiful product. And the reason I liked it so much was because um, the, the Fertitas have put $700 million into it. So you could buy this, and it was turnkey. Just turn the lights on and you go, right? But Las Vegas is not Los Angeles and it's not Florida, right? So there, there are some challenges. Look at Pin Gaming. So Pin Gaming bought Tropicana and M Resort. And it's been okay, right? It's not, they're a regional operator. This isn't a regional place. This is Las Vegas. Um, so, you know, I think the best operators in town are station casinos. Um, I think stations and Boyd Gaming are going to be fine through this downturn, even Golden Entertainment. I think the strip's going to be tough. I think the strip's going to be really, really tough. And those are the big operators like Caesars and MGM and... And they're smart guys. I mean, they're smart guys. It's just, it's hard. You know, you got um, the, the Cosmopolitan got bought by MGM. The Venetian got bought by private equity guys that had Caesars. Um, you know, but when they've got the Macau stuff, which is going to make it hard. Fountain Blue's coming online. Um, Cliff Atkinson's, you know, he's in the fortunate position. He's not going to open until late next year. So he probably gets to sit out what is going to be a pretty messy situation for the next 12 months. Which but, casino is that, Mark? What's that? Wh wh which operation is that? Oh, I'm uh, sorry, Fountain Blue Las Vegas? Oh, the Fountain or, Blue. Should we call it Fountain Blue Part 2? Because I did a bunch of work on the first one, which was Jeffrey Sofer and Glenn Schaefer. And this time around, it's Jeffrey Sofer and the Koch brothers. Uh, it's going to be an amazing project, a real palace. You know, but so is Resorts World. It's a beautiful product. It's a tough part of the strip. And the bottom part of that customer demographic, the free money people are gone, gone. And now, again, you know, people are going for dinner or, or, or staying in the hotel, but they don't, they're not gambling the way they used to. And when the stock market goes down and house prices go down, people feel poor. And so they don't take vacations and they don't come to Las Vegas. Yes, yes, that's good. Um, tell me, is there any question I should be asking you about what you did that I haven't asked? Yeah, I mean, um, you know, I think 
I think the next 12 months, I don't want to sound like chicken little, but a lot's going to depend on what happens tomorrow. A lot. And, you know, I'm very concerned that if we continue down our current path, I don't want to get political, but I'm reading a book called Game Over, and it's about Greece and what happened in Greece, and it's exactly where we're at. And if we continue down this path of socialism, a lot of very wealthy people are going to leave. You go down to Panama on Act 60, I don't have to pay U.S. taxes anymore. I can just bolt. I only got to be there six months in a day out of every year. And several thousand New Yorkers have already done it. Tens of thousands of New Yorkers have left and gone to Florida because it's a no-tax state. You can't ask 1% of the people to hold up the other 99%. It's, it's, not, it's not sustainable. So... You know, I'm hoping we work our way through this recession and it doesn't become a depression. And I'm hoping no matter what happens tomorrow that everybody remembers at the end of the day, we're all Americans. Yeah, I, I you know what, I hope so too. No matter what your political stripe is, I, I think it's just so important uh, that if we don't come together, we at least live together. That's that's the important thing. I... I um, I am looking forward, Mark, to seeing you on December 7th for your uh, charity event, which is always a great, great time. He, we didn't talk about this, but he uh, helps entertainers uh, that do covers of very famous people. And, and uh, 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 it's, always, it's always a blast to do this sort of thing. Uh, Mark, I really appreciate you spending time with us this morning, and and uh, uh, I wish you a great coming year, 2023. Even though we might be hunkering down, I wish you all the happiness in the world. All right. Well, happy holidays to you as well, my brother. Love you. Love you too. Ryan, back to you. Alrighty. Thank you, gentlemen. Fantastic conversation today. Mark, of course, we appreciate you and your time for jumping aboard and being with us and kind of sharing that slice into your world of executive recruiting and especially in the high rolling area that is Las Vegas. Always interesting. Uh, and of course, Tony, great work today. Uh, you know, hey, for our audience out there, we want to say a quick thank you for stopping by and being with us here on the show today. If you took anything away from today's conversation, you enjoyed it in any way, shape or form, go ahead and like the show on whichever platform you checked us out on and of course, subscribe to it. That way you never miss out on a future episode. I mentioned at the top of the show, this is the season premiere of season two here on Go Beyond Numbers. That means we've got a lot of great conversations ahead with some really special guests that we're excited to be bringing to you here in episodes to come. So by subscribing to the show, you'll never miss out on one of those great episodes. So for Tony, for Mark, I'm Ryan. We're going to go ahead and say so long, but we appreciate you stopping by and being with us here on Go Beyond Numbers.